Open your Bibles, if you will, again to Genesis 24. I trust that you're using your study guide because that's where you get all the background for our lessons from the book of Genesis. This morning, we're talking about a wife for Isaac. This is a chronicle of faith, hope, and love. We're going to see Abraham's faithfulness, as we have seen before, uh, rewarded in a sense today, his servant's steadfastness, and Rebecca's fearlessness. You will notice in chapter 23 that we did not have a message on that chapter that covered Sarah's death and Abraham's purchasing a burial site for her. Abraham's wife, Sarah, lived to be 127 years old. You remember she was the mother of the promised son. She is the only woman in Scripture that I know of whose age and death is recorded in the Bible. And I think that's because she is a very special woman. And we see in the New Testament, if you are a believer, Sarah is your mother. First Peter 3, 6, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, the doing good and the fearlessness certainly don't earn you a position in the family of faith of Father Abraham, but these are things that will flow out of your life if you have Christ as your Savior. Abraham at this time was a very elderly man, 140 years of age, but don't count him out of the race just yet. He has some more things to do. In this life, he's faced many tests along the way, but his faith has come through intact. God has blessed him with gold and silver, flocks and herds, and he is a wealthy man. The promised son, Isaac, has been born and has grown up and now is 40 years of age. But there's something missing for Isaac. If he is the promised son through whom the nation will be built, you can't have a one-man nation, and we've got to have some people. And that means we need a wife for Isaac, because she would be the one in the line of the promised son, the Messiah. So Abraham decides, as was the responsibility of a father at that time in that culture, that Isaac needs to have a wife. And this is the very encouraging story of his obtaining that wife. I think he probably wanted a wife that would be like his mother, a woman who exemplified the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, we're told in the New Testament. Here's a graphic picture of the heavenly father choosing a bride the church, for his son, Christ. Isaac represents Christ, and he was a long time preparing for his bride, Rebecca, who represents the church. Her marriage was planned long before she knew anything about it. She would share the glory of the son, and the invitation came through a servant whose name is not mentioned in this passage because he was representing Isaac John 14:26 but the helper which is the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name Jesus speaking 
He shall teach you all things. So I think the unnamed servant represents the Holy Spirit who sends the invitation to us through prophets, priests in the Old Testament, preachers in the New Testament. And we will see today that Rebecca responded immediately when the invitation came, leaving everything behind to follow, go to the Son. She loved him before she ever saw him, or she wouldn't have gone with him, with the servant, to return to Canaan. And I think that's a picture of redemption through Christ. The Holy Spirit sends the invitation to us, and we are called to leave everything, in a sense, and follow him. Meanwhile, Father Abraham was taking a look around at the marriage candidates in Canaan, and it was scary. These people worshipped snakes. They revered all of nature. They practiced immorality as a religion. They sacrificed infants. And one of Abraham's great fears was that his son would marry one of these Canaanite girls and lose out on the promises God had made to Abraham with regard to his descendants. Abraham's grandson Esau married two Canaanite women, Judith and Basimeth, and they brought grief to their mom and dad. But there is a way to steer clear of this kind of danger. Several weeks back, we had the marriage success factors, and one of them was a similarity of family background, especially in matters of the faith. So here would be principle number one. Marry only a growing Christian, assuming that you are a growing Christian. And we said at that time to our young people, this is the time in your life, if you're in that season where you're old enough to be thinking about being married, it's the time in your life where you need to be closer to the Lord than at any previous time because you're going to be making not only the marriage decision but many other important decisions. So there is our first principle, marry only a growing Christian. But you need to be a growing Christian. Second Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? But here's what happens in our culture. I didn't intend to marry the guy. We just started seeing one another. And one kiss led to another. And no kidding. Well, maybe you ought to wait and date your fiancé. And maybe you ought not to be kissing your fiancé because not every fiancé becomes a husband. Maybe you ought to wait and date your husband and save all your kisses for him. I know he will be delighted with that thought. So here's Abraham's problem. Any of those girls from the godly line of Shem live over 500 miles away back in Mesopotamia. Now, for one man, that would be about 21 days of travel by himself, if he even made it. For a caravan, that would be 30 days of hard travel. I don't know if you've ever ridden on a camel. I never have. But uh, that's a tough trip. Where is Eliezer, the steward of my estate? Get him in here. The plan of working through a third party 
might seem a little bit strange to us, but it was just what they did back then, especially a wealthy family would always work through an intermediary to handle these kinds of transactions. So the trusted family steward is given the mission. Here's one of God's most delightful and incredible accounts of his divine providence in all of the Bible. It's filled with excitement, suspense, even some overtones of romance. So come along with me as we search for the mother of the nation through whom the Messiah will be born. Yeah, but wait a minute. Abraham didn't know about any coming Messiah. Oh, yes, he did. Galatians 3.8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. He may not have known everything that we know about it, but I'm sure that he knew that the seed of woman was coming to bruise the serpent's head. Now we want to look at the servant's steadfastness. In verse 2 of your passage, Genesis 24, you'll see that this was the eldest servant. In all likelihood, it was Eliezer of Damascus, whom we met before. The chief steward of the estate was the most trustworthy servant who could be found. We probably should think of him as an employee or a manager and not so much as a slave. He took care of personnel, resources, supplies, He did everything for his master's estate. And this guy, the chief steward, I believe Eliezer, was a showcase of steadfastness. We first met him back in Genesis 15, 2 and 3. And from that point in time until today's lesson is over 50 years. So if he's been serving Abraham for that long, he's a very faithful man. He lost something. When Isaac was born, he lost a lot because he was going to be the one who inherited the estate when there was no male descendant. But then when the promised son came along, he lost his inheritance. And he could have bailed out and headed back for Damascus, I suppose, at that point with his feelings hurt. But no, he stayed with Abraham And he is the man who is given the mission. He was faithful to his calling, loyal to his master, diligent to the task, and he takes initiative to get the job done now, as we will see. He's the kind of person you'd like to have working for you. Here's a guy who is not greedy, but humble. He's committed to the Lord, as you can see from the oath that he takes to the Lord, the God of heaven and earth and from the prayer that he prays, asking God to bless his mission, and then at the end thanking God for what he has done. He was given a daunting task when you think about it. He doesn't know anybody where he's going, and they don't know him. So Abraham said, But you shall go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. It sounds kind of like the message to Garcia story by Elder Chubber. Eliezer attempts some obstacles in the path. What if this girl says, are you crazy? You want me to leave my home and my family and my friends and civilization and go halfway around the world to some frontier town and live with a bunch of heathens married to a guy that I never laid eyes on before? 
I'm just glad that Sharon Kay didn't have that response when her dad gave her a year-old letter from Mark and myself inviting her to come to the frontier town of Fredericksburg and be Mark's wife. Praise the Lord. Abraham answered, okay, if she won't come with you, then the deal's off. Just don't take Isaac back there. We've got to keep him in the promised land because this is what God has promised. So he needs to stay in Canaan. God will send his angel before you, and I'm convinced you'll get it done. And that's about all that Abraham has to tell his chief steward. Because this is a man who knows how to get the job done. He has initiative. Hey, you'd like to have someone like this in your business who's not bringing you more problems but is able to solve the problems that you have. Praise the Lord. We have some problem solvers in this church. Sometimes there are just more problems. It's amazing. Sometimes people from another church would come to me and say, here are the problems in your church. Hey, I know about enough problems. I need some Eliezer's to help me with some of these things and praise the Lord. Uh, many of you have filled that uh, position. So Eliezer puts together a strategy to win this girl and her family. This is an older man now. He's been around the block several times and he knows women. So he gets 10 camels. This is like a fleet of moving vans for us. And he starts loading up those camels with every kind of good thing that you can imagine. Costly gifts, the best of everything that Abraham owned. You can see him sorting through the treasure room there, picking out gifts for this girl that he doesn't even know anything about. But he has an idea. Ten camels, to give you an idea of uh, how wealthy Abraham is, that was probably just a small portion of his camel herd. Most guys in that day didn't even have one camel. This is indeed a wealthy man. So he loaded down all these benevolent beasts with great treasure and all kinds of exotic gifts, and he took off. Now, we're not told anything about the journey, but the narrative picks up when he arrives at his destination. And this is where the suspense begins. He stops at a well just outside the city of Nahor because he knows that soon in the evening, early evening, the ladies in the town are going to be coming out to draw water because that's what ladies did in that culture. And he knows if he wants to know anything about what's going on in town or who lives there, these local gals can give him all the scoop when they come out to draw the water. So he's at the right place at the right time, and he is wondering now if the Lord is going to be able to identify this girl. Principle number two. Pray for God's guidance in identifying the girl. You may have already located her, but you just haven't identified her as the one. Pray. And Eliezer prays. Camel's kneeling down. I'm sure he's kneeling down too. And he, Eliezer, said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Now, you can tell what kind of a guy Eliezer is because in that one chapter, he says, my master, 18 times. He is completely committed to his master. 
Behold, I'm standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who answers, Drink, and I will water your camels also, may she be the one whom thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And by this I shall know that thou hast shown loving kindness to my master. This guy must have been a Calvinist. May she be the one whom thou hast appointed. He believes that there is one, and he's praying that God would identify this one for her. Consider his prayer. Now, I would remind you that it won't be easy even if you marry the appointed one, because if you're a son of Adam, you will be marrying a daughter of Eve. So you're going to need God's help and guidance even after you have found the appointed one. Principle three. Establish some biblical standards. What kind of girl are we looking for here? I think Eliezer had in mind a girl who had a heart like his, a servant's heart. And maybe God just worked it out this way. So he sets up a little situation. Now, this girl could have been at home uh, knitting some socks for our brother or whatever she may have been doing. God can get you together at the appointed time. But here's an amazing account of how he gets the servant together with Rebecca. He prayed that God's choice would be recognized by her response in his inquiry to his inquiry for a drink of water. But then he adds this second part, and that she would water all the camels. This is a serious man of faith. A camel can drink 25 gallons of water in 10 minutes. If you give Mr. Camel a little time, he can move that up to 40 gallons in one session. Now, whoever this girl is going to be, she's going to have to work pretty hard to get in this rich man's family. We know that God answers prayer. How long did it take God to answer this prayer? Isaiah 65, 24. It will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Rebecca comes on the scene in verse 15. And it came about before he had finished speaking, that is his prayer, that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. Even before he had finished praying, Rebecca showed up to draw the water. Notice she was the first one who arrived there and evidently arrived in plenty of time to do what she needed to do. It's a providential meeting from the Lord. When the servant looked up and saw this girl uh, walking with her jar on her shoulder, he noticed something. She wasn't just in the beauty contest. She was the winner of the contest, Miss Mesopotamia, coming to get water here. And I guess he just took note of that. The Bible tells us the girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled up her jar and came up. Eliezer was watching very carefully. Could this be the candidate? Notice that she went down to the spring and then she came up. 
a spring-fed well would be somewhere down in the bottom. Uh, Water doesn't normally flow uphill, and the hydraulic ram hadn't been invented yet, so she's probably going to be walking down a number of steps in some wells in the Holy Land. It might be 50 steps. It could be as many as 100 steps. It's way down there where the water is. So she goes down to get the water, fills up her jar, and she comes back up. Principle number four, be alert to God's provision. If everything is in readiness, this could be it. Get moving. Eliezer does not hesitate. And the servant ran to meet her. I'm sure he was very enthusiastic. Please let me drink a little water from your jar. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Amazing. What would she have said today? Hey, couch potato, what do you think I am? Your servant? Get down there and get your own water and blow off before all my friends get here. I'm glad that um, she had a heart of a servant because she was happy to give him a drink of water. And then, amazingly, what do you think she's going to say next? Let's think about that a minute. Three gallons of water weigh 25 pounds. So if I don't know what size her water jar was, but she's either going to be carrying a pretty heavy load or she's going to be making a whole lot more trips. Ten camels, 40 gallons. Maybe this was just going to be the hospitality station treatment where they just give you one gallon, a kind of a taste. My suburban, my old suburban holds 40 gallons, same as one camel. But it's pretty thirsty on the gas, so I don't always fill it up. Sometimes I just give it a little taste. And maybe that's what she did, except for what we're going to see here. Verse 19. Now, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels, uh uh-oh, until they have finished drinking. Well, I don't know if they were out of water right at that point, but any way you stack it up, it's going to be a lot of trips down there to get water. Rebecca is a thoughtful woman. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw and she drew for all his camels. Rebecca is a marathoner as well as a weightlifter as well as a beauty contest winner. This is an amazing girl. Notice, girls, that one act of kindness changes her life to a very exciting new season for her. And again, the point is, from the girl's perspective, she is just doing her responsibility. She could have been at home washing clothes, helping her mother, whatever her responsibility was, even as Ruth was doing her responsibility when her husband showed up. So she ran back to get more water, and meantime, the man was gazing at her in silence. I guess so. He was speechless, wanting to know whether the Lord has made his his journey successful or not. Talk about kindness and generosity. Uh, This girl is the epitome of a servant. So Eleazar breaks out some of his gifts that he has brought. 
And he gives the girl this uh, ring, this nice ring of a half shekel, and two bracelets weighing ten shekels in gold. Now, uh, girls don't get any ideas. In verse 47, that was a ring for the nose. It's very unsanitary if you have a cold. One time I was uh, counseling a 14-year-old girl with her grandmother, and every time we came to her immorality, she began crying, and she had to take out all the things that were in her nose and then put them back in again, only to take them out again in a few minutes. It was very disconcerting, if not distracting. Now for the million-dollar question. Whose daughter are you? And do you have any room for us to stay at your house? This guy gets right down to the business. And he has his entire caravan with him. Number of men, the animals, the whole deal. She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She is the granddaughter of Abraham's brother. Now, in those days, it's okay to marry a distant relative. There were no genetic problems. So everything is right in order here. Hallelujah. She has given the perfect answer. And she says... We have plenty of both straw and feed and room to lodge in. Come on to our house with all your load of camels there. So what did the steward do in order to celebrate the fact that he just hit the jackpot? Well, here's what he did. Then the man bowed low and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth for my, toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. Now there was excitement in the air, and the marathon lady takes off again. The girl ran and told her mother's household all these things. Girls are going to naturally go to mama first to tell the good news and the excitement of what's going on here. And then Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran outside to the spring to meet the man. This is a very athletic family, kind of like the Tankersley family. They run everywhere. I think they even run before breakfast in the morning. So he runs out very excited. He probably uh, noticed the gold jewelry, and that probably excited him a little bit more. We know later on from the experiences with Rachel that he may have been motivated a little bit by covetousness as well as courtesy. Laban, you remember Laban, the guy with that marriage contract deal. So Laban then helped to unload the camels, and he gave straw and feed the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet, the servants' feet, and the feet of the men who were with him. There was some energy generated by the arrival of this caravan from Canaan. Now it's time for the evening meal at the home place, but the steward won't hear of it. Verse 33, supper was served, but the old man said, I don't want to eat until I tell you why I'm here. He also had the character qualities of perseverance and thoroughness. Get the job done. The outcome is in God's hands. He probably also knew that the supper is going to taste a little better if you've finished the task. And so Laban says, all right, tell us your errand. Then we come to principle number five. He begins to tell everything that we have just seen 
In verses 34 through 49, he reiterates in great detail what has happened. And then he says this, principle five, get ready financially for the responsibility of a wife and children. Well, what does that mean? Well, your parents and others will help you know what that means. Do you have to have a certain amount of money? Uh, might be different in different instances. You either got to have the money or you got to know how to live on a budget. And they may help you with either one or both. So here's what the servant says. I am Abraham's servant, and the Lord has greatly blessed my master so that he has become rich. And he's given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and servants and maids and camels and donkeys. Now Sarah, my master's wife, bore him a son to my master in her old age, and he has given him all that he has. And by age 40, he probably knows what to do with the family estate, unlike the prodigal son. This is big news to Bethuel and his family. Abraham would have been toward the top of the Forbes 400 wealthiest people in the land, I'm sure. But that would mean kissing goodbye to a daughter and a sister that they would likely never see again. It's the other side of the world. Well, gladness and sadness often travel on the same road together, we have seen. Then Laban and Bethuel, the brother and the dad, answered and said, the matter comes from the Lord, so we cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. Principle number six, follow the advice of parents and receive their blessings. Now, surely there may be some extenuating circumstances somebody always brings up. Uh, what if her dad's not a Christian and he just hates religious fanatics and well, God will guide you. You have a pastor. You have others who can give you a word of counsel in those kind of situations. But generally speaking, you ought to listen to what parents have to say, even if they're not believers. Maybe your response will help them see how a true Christian is supposed to live, honoring her father and her mother. So at this point, Eliezer's men begin to unload all the treasure. Jewelry and garments for Rebecca, who's going to be the wife of a prince now. They have things for her mother, for her brother. And that evening, they all went to bed after dinner, but some had likely not eaten much and didn't sleep much because this was earth-shattering news for the family. Then they woke up the next morning. Have you ever noticed how you can change your mind overnight? Well, they didn't change their mind, but they said, now, wait a minute, we probably need to say goodbye to Rebecca, so why don't we have her stay, why don't y'all stay at least 10 days, and we can just uh, kind of say our goodbyes and get to know you a little better, sending their daughter off now with this guy on a long trip. Well, the servant answered in the negative. Why do you think he did? Was that not a little cruel, a little hard-hearted. He was a wise man. I think he knew that 10 days from then, it would probably be more difficult to say goodbye than it was right at that moment. They could say goodbye then before they loaded up the camels. 
Also, sometimes if we delay in doing the Lord's will, there may be doubt, and that doubt may bring further delay. So the servant says, Do not detain me, verse 56, that the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way that I may go to my master. He wanted to get the job done. Well, in 2 Corinthians, we read this. Working together with him, Christ, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So in verse 58, they asked Rebecca if she would go. And she said, I will go. And they departed for Canaan. It's a great illustration, I think, of personal salvation. Principle seven, be willing to accept God's timing to wait or to move forward. Which one of those you think is going to be the most difficult? Yeah, no doubt about that. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He will strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Remember, Abraham said the woman was unwilling to come then Eliezer would be free from his oath. Now, it says nothing about the trip back home, but now they are arriving back in Canaan. Can anybody remember the last time we heard from Isaac? was when he was with his father for the sacrifice on Mount Moriah. But now he comes back onto the scene, and the Lord has him out in the field meditating, praying, I'm sure, about the results of this venture. And he looked up, and he saw some camels coming. And a flutter of butterflies went on stampede in his stomach. He has a lot to gain in this situation, but, well, I'm not even going to say that. What would she possibly be like? What would she possibly look like? He strained his eyes to see, could that be her, the girl with the long nose? Oh, no, that's a camel. Oh, he was nervous. But finally, after ages, it seemed, she arrived. And she lighted off the camel. Now, I was always told that that was the first uh, instance of smoking in the Bible. She lighted off her camel, but I don't believe that. I think she was excited to see him as he was to see her. So she popped off the camel, got a good look, but then immediately she covered herself with her veil. And that would have been a garment that covered up her face and her body. So Isaac um, takes her after the introductions are made and carries her to his mother's tent and until preparations for the wedding ceremony, the formalities of that can be done. And you see it there at the tail end of the chapter. Remember principle number eight and our last one. Acknowledge God as the source of blessing. Thank him for his guidance and provision. If you are married, thank God every day for your spouse. If you're not yet married, thank God that he has guided you to this point today. And trust him that he's going to continue to guide Let's look again at the prayer. Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth 
toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. That's Eliezer's prayer. And here is your promise, young men. Psalm 37:23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. And, of course, we would be considered good because we have Christ living within us. It's a great story. It's a picture of even a greater love story. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Salvation is not just for the Jew. It's for the entire world everyone who would acknowledge their need for a Savior, everyone who would confess their sin and ask God to pardon their transgression, and everyone who would have a desire in their heart to live for Him. If the Holy Spirit is touching your heart right now, that that would be your desire, then I would encourage you to pray that prayer with me as I close in prayer. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing account of your divine providence. And we see, Lord, that you have sent your spirit to touch our hearts, perhaps through a message that we heard, perhaps through a mom or dad or someone else who gave us the gospel message. And Lord, I pray that if there is someone here today who does not truly know you in repentance and faith, that this would be the time that they might acknowledge that they need a Savior. Maybe it's been just a professing of Christ, but not really confessing. And that they need forgiveness, pardon of their transgression. Lord, I pray that that person would come to you at this time in the quietness of their hearts. And Father, we thank you that you have called us, and we thank you that you have given us the grace to respond to that call. And we pray, Lord, that as we seek to live life in a way that's pleasing to you, that your Holy Spirit would have free reign in our hearts that you would strengthen us through the Scripture, that we might have strength and the ability to put off the old self and to have a right attitude, the mind of Christ in our hearts, and to put on the new self created to be like him in true righteousness and holiness. Lord, as we come to this time of the Lord's Supper, we ask that your Spirit would examine our hearts. We pray that we might be honest and open before you, And we ask, Lord, that if there is anything there that is displeasing to you, even an attitude, that this would be the time to confess it and forsake it. We pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.